What's good, everybody? Welcome into the Mid-State 48 for week three of the high school football season, Middle Tennessee. And I hear Scott Burton already. This thing's gone off the rails. <laughs> Scott Burton, Tom Duggan, guys, how are you? <laughs> you doing? Sorry I dropped something. <laughs> I thought he'd been in the laughing gas already. It's not, it's not like one of those cold opens in the office, but it, it, it's all right. Well, look, I, I dropped something. I went to pick it up, and I was like, I looked up on the screen and said, "Okay, Chris is up there by himself. We're good." Mm, yeah, and evidently, Chris just <laughs> you, thought you, more, you thought you had more time than you actually did. That's what that was, right? Yeah, okay. that's what it was. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm to give you an out here, Scott. I mean, wait, at least let me do that. Actually, I was looking for a. Lens cleaner. Oh, for my glasses. Okay. All I right. Dropped it somewhere. That. Anyway. Uh, well, no anyway, worries. let's let's uh, get started. Uh, lots to cover on the show this week. Uh, we talk about week two. Some of the couple of games that we were at. Plenty that came out of week two. Mostly good. Some not so good. But we'll cover it anyway. So, <laughs> let's jump right in. Scott, you were at Nashville Christian, our fans' choice game of the week. They've hosted Good Pasture, and that one turned out to be a pretty interesting deal, didn't it? Yeah, it actually uh, was a fairly good game and a little bit closer than what the score indicated. Uh, Nashville Christian jumped up on uh, on top early, uh, but it was uh, really the story of just mistakes on punt returns on special teams really was the, the death knell for the Cougars. Uh, two uh, returns by Donovan Smith, uh, really at the beginnings of each uh, quarter, or I'm sorry, each half, really was uh, uh, was the difference there. Um, there was a point, uh, it was 17 to 14, and Good Pasture had a chance. Uh, they actually threw a pass down to Henderson, uh, got inside the 10, looked like they are going to have a chance to actually take the lead, but it got called back for a penalty. And that was kind of the story all night. It was just penalties by good pasture uh opportune uh taking advantage of mistakes by nashville christian really wasn't a, a a real power game just as much as it was really just you know nashville christian doing all the things right and uh, and and really just pounding the ball at, at good pasture there I, i'll tell you what this defensive line of nashville christian is no joke no joke whatsoever. Humes and Bradley, those guys up front are beasts. And Good Pasture really just couldn't get anything going on the ground. Yeah, it seemed like um, you know, Nashville Christian had had some success stopping the run, especially up front. Uh, we talk about Nashville Christian as one of those teams that can be a, a Division II single-A contender this year. What do you think about them going up maybe against like DCA later on? I mean, is this the type of team that can probably make that kind of run? I think it's the team that can make that kind of run as long as the defense uh, continues playing the way they do. Offensively, they need to they need to do a few things uh, a little bit better. I think they need to to uh, open the holes up, run the ball a little bit better. Uh, quarterback can throw. They've they made some uh, made some plays throwing the ball. Uh, they got them out of some got them out of some trouble. So I think yeah, they can make a run at DCA, but boy, they're going to have to play some tight defense and kind of tighten up their offense. I want to talk a little bit, uh, Scott, while you're mentioning them, about to Tyler Morris, who uh, I believe he maybe ran for like 60 yards, threw for 43 yards and a touchdown. What did you get from Morris out of that game as far as the impact he had overall? 
Well, really, the to me, the impact that Morris had more than anything was it, it, he had good leadership, made good decisions. And I think that that was, you know, really his game. Uh, he did a, you know, good pastor did a good job of, of trying to con- keep him in control and not let him get too far outside the pocket. But he had a couple of good runs, kept the clock going, uh, uh, kept moving the chains. Uh, you know, the one touchdown pass he had to, to Satterfield was right on the money. Um, so, yeah, he's he's a good, solid quarterback. Certainly a, a solid win for Nashville Christian heading into region play starting this week. Um, another one that we had, I actually was up in, in Clarksville for the first time. I've been up there for a long time with an old rivalry with Springfield and Clarksville, uh, one of the state's oldest rivalries, rivalries actually. And Springfield kind of pulled away in the fourth quarter. They won 27 to 10. Uh, big night for Devin Crenshaw, Springfield quarterback. Ran for three touchdowns and threw for another. And and these both these teams, they run the ball. A lot of wing T stuff. They wanted to establish themselves physically early and often. Springfield really did that most of the night and came away with a 17-point win. The thing I was impressed about, you know, Springfield has they've lost some people on offense, but it seemed like that offensive line was more than willing to take charge and kind of stick up to Clarksville's defense, which was a little bit undermanned. They had had some several several kids out due to injuries and and illness and whatnot, but really impressed with Crenshaw, really impressed with Springfield, and it was a big night for them on the road in the big rivalry game. And they've got another important one this week that we'll talk about later on. Well, Chris, uh, the uh, you were talking about the Clarksville uh, defense, or I mean, I'm sorry, the Clarksville offense, and you know they lost their quarterback that uh, was a Garinger uh, at the beginning of the season due to a labrum injury uh, to his shoulder uh, that he got playing baseball. So they've been kind of hampered, right, on the offensive side. They, they really have, and uh, Rayshon Bowling was under center for them on Friday, and he had he had a long touchdown run, but mostly bottled up a, a lot of the night. Uh, uh, these two teams, it's, they struggled to run it for a little while just because it was basically what they wanted to do against each other. But you know, Clarksville still trying to find their identity, I guess. I mean, they know what they want to do, but with so many kids still out until they kind of get toward full strength a little bit more, it's going to be hard for them to kind of establish that identity going forward. Yeah, I was concerned about how they were going to, uh, with the, all those questions going around their offense, how they were going to fare in that region. Chris, I wanted to bring up Springfield's defense after they shut out Greenbrier in week one. They get ready to go into region play, got Northeast this week, a big game for them. Uh, talk about what you saw from them on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, they largely were able to bottle Clarksville up for a while. There were a couple of big plays. The long bowling touchdown of the 65-yarder, he kind of broke loose and got free there. And they had a 40-yard halfback pass later in the in the second half. But other than that, there weren't many chunk plays against them. They were pretty solid up front and very sound and, and as far as not taking penalties, too. I mean, this was a game that was fairly clean from that standpoint. Uh, unlike week one, I think uh, Springfield I think had 10 or 12 penalties in week one. They only had five this week, so a big improvement in that department. Dustin Wilson really happy about that. So, you know, when they get into this week against Northeast, which we'll talk about a little later on, really important for them to kind of keep establishing that identity of what they were both offensively and defensively. Tom, uh, you didn't have a game last week. In fact, you have actually a new gig. Tell us a little bit about that, if you will. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, I've uh, gone to work at Stonecom. I'm actually uh, uh, back in radio for the first time in about 12 years. So uh, knocking off a lot of rust and uh, um, didn't wasn't available to go to any games last week uh, for our coverage area. Unfortunately, I uh, got a look at uh, Livingston Cookville last week and uh, uh, up in the Upper Cumberland region, of course. And uh, Cookville's a team we're going to be talking about playing uh, Lebanon, but uh, certainly Cookville bounced back nicely after a week one loss to uh, Opperman. But uh, surprisingly, Livingston Academy, a very young team there, first year head coach in Dale Flat, and uh, some growing pains, only I think three seniors on that team. And uh, Chris, they're not able to play at home this year. On top of that, they've been playing their home games at Tucker Stadium at Tennessee Tech. So uh, uh, with the new gig, I'll be covering some sports in the Upper Cumberland area. Hope to be helping you guys out some as well. So uh, that'll give me about two thirds of the state to kind of keep an eye on in high school football. <laughs> it's it's going to keep me busy for sure. You are going to be busy, man. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, and Livingston really should take a page out of a page out of Hillsborough's playbook because, as we saw, they spent the last three years basically being nomads and not having a home field. They're going to have their first home game since 2017 this week against Smyrna. We'll talk about that one in just a little bit. Some other things that came out of week two. No, uh, unfortunate incident at Lipscomb Academy. There was a video, a TikTok where Trent Dilfer was seen, you know, having a, a little bit of altercation with Bo Dawson, one of his senior leaders. And it made the rounds. It went viral. A lot of people have waited on this. I want you guys to weigh in on what you saw and what you thought of it when you first were able to see the video. Go ahead, Tom. Well, you know, it's unfortunate. And, and unfortunately, in today's time, something like that is going to draw the ire of people all across the country. And this is not something because it is Trent Dilfer that's just been isolated to Middle Tennessee. Unfortunately, uh, you know, this has been made its rounds all across the country. And you're going to get differences of opinions about this. Uh, you know, guys that played football that had the tough coaches that did yell at them that did grab the face mask you know they're going to say well yeah, that's what coaches are supposed to do but then you're going to have that other section of people that are not going to like it you know he should be berating a player like that he should have acted like that i will give coach dilfer some credit he did come out he did own up for it give him credit for that and uh, he apologized for it i think he felt like he did overreact i think he wanted to try to explain what exactly did happen out there you know, it's a tough situation, but guys, as we all know, we're in a day and age that, uh, you know, coaches, unfortunately, they've really got to be watching what they're doing at all times. And I know you want to be emotional and, and you want to be able to get onto your players when you need to, but uh, you just got to be careful in how you do it. Yeah, and I think that was probably the most uh, disappointing thing and uh, probably disappointed uh, Trent Dilfer more than anything. You know, I, I've I've seen the the wrath of a of a Trent Dilfer rant. Um, he really does care about those kids. He loves those kids to death, and he's tough on them. But and he demands a lot from them. That being said, it is a different time. I mean, as somebody who had his share of hel uh, face masks yanked and uh, you know smacks upside the head, which probably explains quite a bit. Um, you know, I, I understand that. Don't necessarily agree with it uh but i do understand that you know that may have been the way that uh somebody was coached up and somebody was brought up but this is a different day and age and you have to be aware of and and it's not as a matter of you having to be aware that there are cameras uh it's just a different day and age on all sorts of fronts and and we've got to be better and i think uh, Trent's holding himself accountable for that. I think that him uh, that he came out and apologized and acknowledged that hey, I was wrong. 
Uh, you know, and this is a good kid. He was had a high motor. I had a high motor, and you know, you know, things got out of hand. As things go, I've seen, I've seen a lot worse. But that's really you've got to be smarter in that than that, and realize, you know, that it's, it's just not the way that uh, coaches should be, you know, correcting kids these days. Yeah, I've had a chance to see the video several times, and you guys are right. I mean, this is a day and age where the line is constantly moved more toward not being able to put your hands in a kid like that. And, you know, credit Dilfer for getting out in front of this and, and you know, owning up to it. And my main thing is this, is if it's a one-time incident, I certainly disagree with the he should be fired crowd because we tend to overreact a lot to a lot of things, especially on social media and especially in something like a TikTok that doesn't have the necessary context to explain how this started. If we're in a court of law, we're obviously going to ask that question. But since we're not, you know, we have to go on what we know. And the people that were at Lipscomb Academy that night know more than we do and definitely know more than what that video showed. But here's the thing. If it's a one-time thing, I'm okay with it. But if there's a pattern that starts developing, then we've got to start asking some hard questions. But since there's a one-time thing right now, well, let's let's get over it and let's move on. He was acknowledged that he was wrong. Now, my main thing is, does that hurt the team or do they get over it and get past this and keep moving forward? And if that's the case, then maybe everybody comes away from this learning something, and that's what we can take away from it. It's not a great situation. Certainly shouldn't have happened, but you know, it's a teaching moment for everybody involved. And that's why I take away from it the most. And Chris, I, I totally agree with you. I don't agree with the fire deal for crowd. It, you know, again, it's a one-time incident. If you went to Bo Dawson and asked him if he thought Coach Dilfer should be fired, I, I guarantee you he'd say no. And I think I don't think a member of that team would probably say they want their coach fired. He coaches with passion, enthusiasm. Yeah, it got a little overheated. And he's going to have to be more careful. But, you know, it's too soon to be talking about that, in my opinion. Yeah, there's going to be a heavy scrutiny on him going forward. But I, I think that's probably a good thing and kind of helps him refine how he deals with those types of situations. Right. I mean, you know, again, Chris, very well said. Very well said. If it's a one-time thing, you know, you, you got – your emotions got the better of you. Uh, if it becomes, as you said, a uh, uh, – more of a problem you start to see consistency with it yeah absolutely so yeah i think that uh 100 i agree with you guys uh, uh he i'm sure he does far more good uh for those kids than this one incident uh will you know will let on but spotlight's on him now and he knows it and i think he welcomes the challenge of being better i mean it's all about getting better and learning yeah pretty well said and uh Good that we were able to touch on that briefly in this show. Um, another item that came out of this week, and one that has a slightly local angle to it, the whole Bishop Sycamore saga continues. Um, it's been documented well a couple of days ago. They were on ESPN, basically duping ESPN into getting a national tele nationally televised game with some shady practices that you know have been very highly reported on. And the reporters that have done the work on this have done an excellent job of just digging and finding the things that have really made this story what it is. It's unbelievable that in this day and age, something like this could happen in high school football because we're in, a, we're in an age where information is a boundless 
amount on the internet. And yet this team somehow kept themselves unknown enough that ESPN could not figure out that they were not a highly ranked team. And that's where I want to go first and foremost. Shame on you, ESPN, for not doing your homework with the money, the contacts, and the resources, and the history that ESPN has. Shame on them, guys. If you don't know that this Bishop Sycamore team has really no background, that all this information you've been fed, you know, is is a, I'm sorry, just bovine scatology, basically, then that's on ESPN. I mean, guys, first and foremost, I don't blame Bishop Sycamore. Hey, they probably got a nice payday out of it, whether they end up getting paid or not after all this scandal. Who knows? But to me, this falls right back on ESPN. And, uh, hey, somebody somebody didn't do their homework, just plain and simple. Well, it's lazy is what it is. It's because uh, what you did was you you hired out a, uh, a company to line up uh, you know, ball games for you. And you should, this is ESPN. This is sports network programming. This is stuff that you should have people doing inside ESPN. You shouldn't be farming it out. Whenever you, you know, contract something out, mistakes can be made because these guys are just, you know, marketers. And while we're talking about marketers, let's talk about how good of a marketing job Bishop Sycamore did selling, <laughs> selling a non-existent program. But I think this, truthfully comes back to something that's even worse. And what it is, is, you know, IMG holds a little bit of responsibility here. They played them already once and crushed them. They should have been the first to speak up and said, "Uh, really, you want to put us against them? Because no, Uh, you know, IMG is, is part in, in my opinion, IMG is part of the problem. What you have here is you have a bunch of schools created for the sole purpose of football and sport. Well, sports of just about any kind. Uh, it goes back to you know Nike camps and things of that nature. What you don't have these are not student athletes. These are athletes that just happen to go to uh, well, in Bishop Sycamore's case, they all go to the coach's house or wherever they can stay for the night before the check runs out. But uh, it, you know, to me, it's just indicative of a problem within some of those sports when you start talking about pay for play, uh, pay for play type of things like Bishop Sycamore, um, IMG. But to go back to this particular case, uh, yeah, Tom, I agree with you. ESPN needs a slap on the wrist or upside the head. Um, and they certainly need to split ways with, uh, I think Paragon is the name of the marketing company they were using and maybe just maybe keep one or two of their, uh, their people around them, you know, maybe do a little bit of an investigation. Uh, you know, it's not hard to open up USA today and see who the mm-hmm. high school, you know, the top high schools are out there. And, you know, so, or, you know, heaven forbid, ask a sports writer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's a great point. I mean, I am more disappointed in ESPN's response to this than anything else because they've simply passed the buck. They've not taken responsibility for this at all, and it's disgusting, to be honest with you. I mean, we talked about accountability with Trent Dilfer, and then here's ESPN going off, so not it's their fault. We had nothing to do with it. Well, yeah, you did because you were the ones that hired Paragon to put them in the game anyway. Yeah, so right. I don't want to hear about passing the buck. It is your fault, ESPN, and shame on you. I and mean, Double shame on you, actually. So... That's all I got to say about that. It's just a bizarre story. It's fun to see what's coming up about them. I mean, it's just it's such a story that you don't hear about you know, all that often, and yet 
in this day and age. Well, there's it, a 30 for 30 in the works. <laughs> it needs to be. ESPN can do us a solid and get a 30 for 30 on that. <laughs> we might forgive them. You got to give it 20 years for that to happen, though. So. I think so. I think so. Let, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about week three and some of the games that are going to be played and some that aren't because of COVID. We'll do that in just a bit. This is the Mid-State 48, powered by 615 Preps, and we're back in just a moment. Back here on the Mid-State 48, we are getting you ready for week number three and a heavy region week in Middle Tennessee. A lot of region games going off this Friday and some that aren't. Uh, another thing that has come out so far, COVID is rearing its ugly head again this week. We had, I think, 30 cancellations statewide last week. We recorded this on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, and as of the start of this recording, there were 24 such cancellations statewide for week three. So that number only looking to go up, unfortunately. And you know some of the games that have area implications, Laverne at Antioch, Sequatchie County at Cannon County, Lipscomb Academy at Good Pasture, Pearl Cone at Hillwood, which would have been played Thursday night. They're not going to play this week either. And Oakland at Stewart's Creek. Now, you do say, hey, Oakland and Lipscomb Academy are – not playing, and the, the cases are not with them. So we could be looking at a potential powerhouse matchup. Cross your fingers. Maybe mm-hmm. Oakland and Lipscomb Academy hook up this week. Trent Dilfer's on board. He's already tweeted that out. So um, we'll see. But uh, to the games that are going to be on the field, let's start with the game, Scott, that you'll be at in Hendersonville, the battle for Drake's Creek between Beach and Hendersonville. This is a rivalry going back. To the beach to beaches beginning in the early 80s and always one of those rough and tumble crosstown rivalry games that quite honestly usually comes down to special teams yeah i was going to say special teams they seem to be continuing to be a problem for hendersonville uh at oakland they snapped the ball over the punter's head um yeah and against south warren they allowed a kickoff return for a td and a, a long punt return that uh, that could have cost him. So again, it's special team seems to be an area that Hendersonville continues to have trouble with. Uh, that being said, their defensive front is capable of creating havoc uh, for the Buccaneer running game and force them to the air. Uh, if they can capitalize on a turnover too, they could pull a mild upset. But uh, you know, Beach has a good defense too, and the passing and running game to boot. So it's going to be a really interesting game, I think. Uh, you know. But Hendersonville is going to have to be on top of their game, I think, to to beat Beach. Yeah, and honestly, Beach's defense has been the story the first couple of weeks, only giving up seven points to Farragut, only giving up seven points to Henry County. They've been on top of things on the defensive side of the ball the first two games against a couple of pretty good opponents. Well, Bronco Hanks is back, and you know, in in a couple of games, he's got fifteen, uh, he's got seventeen total tackles. He's got a a pick and a sack already on the season. So he's already, you know, he's back and uh, their defensive backs are, are pretty, pretty good back there. So Luke Manning's going to have his work cut out for him. Yeah. I was going to say that beach defense has been impressive first two games and uh, their two opponents have been pretty tough as well. Of course, Hendersonville played Oakland. It doesn't get much tougher than that, but um, you know, can Hendersonville, can they move the ball? Can LSL Ellis have a good game? Uh, against this uh, beach defense. I think it's going to be pivotal for Hendersonville. But uh, guys, I always like to say it, factor the rivalry into it because uh, sometimes you get in a big rivalry game and uh, guys step their game up to another level and uh, anything could go in this one on Friday night, I think. 
Yeah, and especially considering this is a region game and these two teams are going to be fighting for region title. I mean, there's higher stakes in this game than there usually are. Mm -hmm. So yep. just another factor to think about this. So I could certainly see this being a low-scoring game. You know, Beach doesn't give up a ton of points. Hendersonville's had some trouble offensively against better defenses. So, I mean, it could be a lower-scoring game, but I think it stays fairly close. And we'll talk about the game and who you got in just a bit. EGA at CPA is up next. And CPA, well, I mean, they're getting the job done. Brentwood Academy had them on the ropes. They came back and won it. And their defense actually sealed that game late with a big stop. So, you know, BGA has to come in here thinking, you know, they've got to play a pretty solid game to, to stay in this and have a shot to win it, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if any team has the ability to match uh, CPA in points, it's going to be BGA. But they, they're going to need help. Uh, CPA right now is uh, on top of their game. Uh, they are – Right now, king of the mountain until somebody knocks them off. Um, but that being said, CPA can make mistakes, and BJ will need to capitalize on that. Um, if it's a shootout, it could be anybody's game. I was going to say that BGA defense giving up 33 points through the first two games. Now, again, they played Nolansville and they played Ravenwood. Those are two teams not to sneeze at. But, again, as you point out, they, they've scored a lot of points in those two games as well. So, uh, you know, Brett Brown at quarterback and uh, Sean Williams, they hope to step their game up against CPA. And I don't think CPA, I, you know, and I probably undersold Brentwood Academy, unfortunately, a little bit last week in the matchup. Uh, they, they really held their own. And, uh Gave CPA all they wanted, but uh, I expect CPA, I, I bet they've had a pretty good, tough week of practice this week. I think we may see a different level of focus out of them in this game, but uh, they better not be caught napping because BGA can put some points up. Yeah, that's the biggest thing to take away from this, I think, is, is being, a re being a region game, you can't overlook these because these determine your playoff fate. So, you know, Engel Martin's team will be ready for this game, and they'll be ready for a whatever – BGA decides to throw at them. I mean, they may have to throw the kitchen sink at them to stay in this and keep it close, but uh, who knows? BGA has been pretty good in the first couple of weeks, and this one has a chance to be fairly close in this one. The Cap County making County, another tough region game that's going to have major implications down the line in Class 4A. These two teams fought for a region championship last year, but with the addition of Upperman, this now seems like a number two spot instead of a, champ instead of a region title. Guys, let's weigh in on this one real quick. Uh, Macon's at home again like they were last year. Maybe a little bit of a bad taste in their mouth from last October, right? Yeah, I think it could very well be. Uh, I think it's going to be a knockdown drag out just like it was last year. And, guys, a fun fact here, uh, these two teams have met every year since 1991. In fact, that's the this is the longest current uh, streak of games against any one opponent DeKalb County has currently going. Uh, this rivalry now stretching about 30 consecutive years, so – during that time, I even myself personally have witnessed both teams, you know, blowing out the other. But most of the time, this is a knockdown drag out. And I think this is a DeKalb County team that a lot of people may have looked at on paper, losing their quarterback and Axel Aldino last year, that maybe they wouldn't be as competitive. But they brought back the majority of a very big offensive line. And the Briz Trap, the sophomores, look pretty good at, at the quarterback thus far. Macon County, though, I love the experience experience they have under center with Brady Brooks. And he's got a great weapon out there in Cameron Houston. Uh, I tell you what, in Macon County, to me, they look pretty good defensively in the, in the chance I got to see them in the preseason. So I, I, a lot on the line here. You mentioned, uh, Chris, that it may be for number two because Upperman has looked so very good right now. But uh, the winner of this game still puts themselves in the driver's seat to have a chance to win the uh, region championship. 
Well, I want to bring up maybe one of the, the, the bigger tiger hunters out there, and it's Isaac Knowles. Uh, wide receiver, he's got nine receptions, 159 yards, and a, a TD, but he also has 171 yard in return yards. And he is uh, a very speedy uh, back uh, wide receiver. Uh, and I think that Trap is going to look for him up the seam. So Macon County uh, defenders can't lose track of where Knowles is because he, he'll either be up the seam or behind him. Um, I think Macon's going to try to control the line of scrimmage. I think uh, they're going to try to keep uh, running the ball. Uh, and they, they do a great job with uh, Coulter and Claraday. Uh, and so I, I think this is going to be, uh, as you said, a, a knockdown drag out fight and, um, you know, make them down to the last one with the ball. Yeah, that's you know, you mentioned, where, I'm sorry, Tom, go ahead. I was just going to say, you mentioned Knowles. Don't forget he's an excellent player in the secondary as well. I mean, this is a kid that'll play every play. If you put him out there, uh, it might be an interesting matchup. We might see him on cam Houston quite a bit in the game Friday night. And that would certainly be an interesting matchup between the two. We talked about Macon County possibly being a, a more of a throwing team this year. That has not been the case in the first couple of weeks. They've been a largely a running team trying to set up the pass when it's been there. But really, they kept it on the ground the first two games. And last week against West Bloom was a knockdown dragout game, a 14-7 to seven win. Mm-hmm. So they're already in these physical, physical rivalry games that are kind of key to their season right now. So I think when they come into this game, they're going to be ready for what they expect to be a physical kind of ground fest between these two teams. So – be interesting to see what comes out of that one if Macon can avenge their loss to McCaffrey from last year. East Nashville and Stratford, a 3A region showdown between the two teams that I kind of think might be one and two in this region. So we kind of see early on where these two teams might fall. East Nashville didn't get to play last week. Unfortunately, they're 0-1 after their loss to Father Ryan in week one. Stratford took it on the chin against Overton as well. So both these teams kind of have a little bad taste in their mouth coming into this one, right? Yeah, I think so. I think that, it, you know, right now it's, it's kind of hard to see where East Nashville is uh, just simply because they had the the one bad game against Father Ryan before they were derailed by COVID. Um, truthfully, I think that Father Ryan game, Father Ryan is uh, maybe a little bit better than what I anticipated at the beginning of the year. It may have been a first week hangover. Um, so it, it's going to be really interesting to see how they bounce back with a week off. Uh, playing against uh, Stratford, um, I think you know Jamal Stewart's going to have to see a little bit more from their offense and Zach Beard. Uh, but their defense, their defense is still really good. They were able to get three turnovers against Father Ryan. Just can't do anything with them. Yeah, and you look at Stratford. This is a team that you know last year they had a lot of speed. They lost a lot of that during the uh, during the off season. But they're still good at offensive line, and they've got a pretty good quarterback in Nikeelan Jenkins, who's an outstanding athlete. And, uh, you know, Chris, you mentioned this might be the battle for one and two. Some folks looked at Smith County as factoring into that. Smith County with a first-year head coach, they've, uh, they've struggled a little bit out of the gate. So I'm kind of on board with that line of thinking right now that uh, this game may determine the region championship between these two. But, uh, uh, you know, East Nashville, how are they going to bounce back after a COVID week? A lot of teams are going to have to start answering that question. And for some teams, and I'll give you an example, in Warren County, they, they're likely not to even start their season until week four. How will these postponements, cancellations, whatever they may be, how are they going to affect these teams when they do have to come back and get back on the gridiron? Yep. With so many already being canceled as it is, I mean, it's just upending. We're seeing a repeat of 2020, unfortunately, as far as the cancellations are concerned. 
but they have learned from last year. So they've got at least that database of, of info that they can lean, lean on to get through those cancellations and whatnot. And mm-hmm. hopefully you'll keep their teams on the field as much as possible. Father Ryan at JP2, the battle for the Bishop's Cup and a big rivalry game between these two teams that are playing pretty well early in the year. And this is going to be this is going to be a fascinating game, I think. Yeah, guys, I like this game. And I'll tell you what, uh, you know, in the preseason prognostications, these two teams were kind of picked on the bubble of even making the playoffs. But I think JP2 and Father Ryan both have played excellent out of the gate, uh, both uh, 2-0 thus far. Uh, Father Ryan, the wins, of course, we mentioned East Nashville won at Brentwood last week. I thought Brentwood would go home and maybe bounce back in their first home game after that uh, disheartening loss at loss at Blackman. But uh, Father Ryan wasn't having any of that. And JP2, good win over Hillsboro, and they beat Pure Youth Alliance. Not too familiar with that one last week. But uh, Father Ryan, they've been on a roll in the regular season. Going back to last year, and I know it's kind of apples and oranges in high school ball from one season to the next, but there's some momentum going, at least with the program, that they've won eight of the last ten games. Their quarterback, Matthew Derrick, has been playing well. JP, too, they, they've got some experience up front. They've got some experience in the receiving core. And Kevin Menchie is a quarterback we've mentioned quite a bit. But, uh, you know, quietly, I think Menchie could go out there and just have a fantastic season. I think this is going to be a, an excellent game. And uh, I think one or both of these teams have a real legit shot of making the playoffs this year. Yeah, I'm I'm a little uh, – I'm, I'm still a little on the fence with Father Ryan and, and strictly because, you know, they rolled up 346 yards of, of total offense against Brentwood despite having 12 penalties. Yeah. And, you know, where Brentwood, you know, had four, only four, uh, of course, they turned the ball over, you know, three times. But, uh, you know, their defense held Brentwood to a, a first down rushing, and they were amazing four four on first down, fourth down, I'm sorry, and gave up 14 yards on uh, 16 carries. I, I, th- this team had three turnovers also against East, uh, East Nashville. So they're – there's room for mistakes there to be made. And I think that, you know, I, I was thinking that they're, you know, that a Brentwood would take, uh, you know, would be able to take advantage of that. Uh, they were able to fight through them. So I was thinking the same thing with, uh, uh, with uh, Pope John Paul II, but you know, it's, it's kind of hard to say this, this father Ryan team just seems to find ways to win. You know, that being said, I think that, uh, you know, that JP two is, you know, they they are not a one dimensional team, uh, but Kenny Minchie is is the real deal at quarterback. Yeah, well, the good thing about Division two AAA is that everybody actually makes the playoffs this year, so the playoff seating isn't going to be in, is the bigger idea instead of making it to the playoffs. But see, I told you, I thought one or both would make the playoffs. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> one thing they don't have to worry about this year, but with with the changes in Division two AAA, but. With, with these two teams, obviously the rivalry is 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 heated, but I think JP two with Kenny Minchie quarterback and, and Colin Cook out there at receiver, and they've got so many weapons out there that they're going to put up the points. Can Father Ryan match it? That's my biggest question this week. Let's take a quick break. We're going to come back and finish off the games that we're touching on this week, rapid fire style in the second half, so we can get to who you got a little bit quicker. This is the Mid State Forty Eight powered by Six One Five Preps. We're back right after this. Back here on the Mid-State 48, the Week 3 edition, where we continue our previews to some of the top games in the area. Indian Centennial are next. Two teams with uh, very different starts. Independence 0-2 after a couple of really tough losses to some really good teams. Centennial 2-0 hasn't a lot of point yet, but they're 
strength of schedule leaves a little bit desired. So is this a bounce back for Andy or does Centennial continue its winning ways? Well, that's a good question, right? I mean, that, you know, it, how is is Independence as bad as what they've looked or is Centennial a paper tiger? Uh, that's, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I, I liked Independence. Uh, I think that they've played, you know, a really hard schedule so far and it, and it showed and, and it's all about honing your, honing your craft, especially when you're replacing some good players, but uh, you know, don't, don't sleep on Centennial. They, they're coming out with a, with a purpose and, and they're true believers now. So it's going to be really interesting to see how quickly what happens if Centennial jumps out in front early, you know, on, you know, does, how does, how does independence react? And Independence, I, I, CPA and Lipscomb the first two weeks. Uh, I mean, who wants to play that schedule? That's uh, as tough as it gets. But as far as Centennial goes, like you mentioned, Chris, they've not allowed a point. And Josh Forsey, guys, Josh Forsey, he looked good in the preseason. He's carried it over into the regular season. Again, you know, the competition level may not be up, and certainly not to the level Independence has played. But I think Centennial's got a lot of confidence right now. And, uh, boy, Forsey, he just runs, he runs hard. He's a good football player. Yeah, for me, independence of schedule, I mean, it's going to serve them well later on in the year, but they're going to have to get some confidence back and fast mm -hmm. because if, if they go 0-3, losing to Centennial, that's not good for considering that their region hopes a lie on beating the Cougars. So, no, big big game for independence. Centennial playing with house money at this point. Smyrna Hillsboro. Uh, we mentioned Hillsboro back in its home stadium for the first time since 2017. Big night for the Burroughs. Smyrna's trying to come in and spoil that game. But Hillsboro's been off to a pretty rough start. Yeah, guys, I don't know what to make of either one of these teams, to be honest. Uh, Smyrna got the win over Stewart's Creek to open the season, then COVID last week, and so they have to sit out a week. Uh, small roster this year. They got some inexperience up front. They do have a good quarterback, of course, Landon Miller, the three-year starter. Uh, Hillsboro kind of shocked to see them lose to Station Camp. But then again, you look at Station Camp, and they're 2-0 uh, and o thus far on the season. Hillsboro's strength was supposed to be the defense this year. Of course, you know, they played JP2 in week number one and uh, gave up 49 in that game. And, of course, uh, again, kind of a head-scratcher with Station Camp. So both of these teams right now, I just don't really have a great feel for either one. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you're right about uh, about Smyrna. Uh, you know, that first game they played against Stewart's Creek, that could have been a, uh, a different result had uh, – Stewart's Creek not lost uh, their primary weapon, but they did, and uh, Smyrna was able to win it. Hillsboro, you know, they get to go home, and uh, boy, at a time they, you know, desperately need something to celebrate. But the thing that worries me about Hillsboro is that they have allowed opponents a really fast start. You know, they were down forty-nine to seven at the half against JP two. They get down eighteen to nothing against Station Camp, um, and they don't seem to be able to to claw back in it. Their offense doesn't seem to be able to allow them to get back into the game. Um, you know, so yeah, it, it, I really worry about this Hillsborough team about where they are mentally. Um, I mean, again, this is, you know, you would think that this game is going to mean everything to them on their new field. Uh, and we really don't know, Tom, to your point, to your point, we really don't know a hundred percent about Smyrna yet. So, it's going to be an interesting matchup, I think. Yeah, with not a lot of Smyrna film from this season so far, Hillsboro has a little bit to, to worry about. But 
that home field is going to matter a lot to them. And I, I think we can see a very close game in this one just because of the emotion and the energy that they're going to bring on their home field for the first time. Springfield and Northeast, this is a televised game this week. Um, Northeast coming off an inexplicable shutout loss to Montgomery Central last week. Springfield, as we noted, beat Clarksville 27 to 10. Guys, a key region game for these two teams. One of them is going to have a shot at Henry County. Which one might it be? Springfield. Uh, I think Springfield's going to have a shot at Henry County. Um, I think they're they're playing. And Chris, you brought it up earlier when you were going over last uh, week's game. Uh, Dustin Wilson is uh, his attention to detail, his ability to get the most out of his players uh, brings a lot. Um, yeah, I can't explain the the uh, the Northeast uh, loss to not only the loss but not being able to score against Montgomery Central. I know they moved the ball quite a bit, but they they couldn't punch it through. Uh, they, you know, they're going to have to get out in front on on Springfield, and they're going to have to have success throwing the ball. It's what they do well. Jaden Puig's a good quarterback. He loves to throw the ball. He's got weapons uh, in uh, Fort and uh, uh, oh, he's got another one. <laughs> but uh, Tykes Blanton, that's who he is. Um, he's got weapons there in those two guys. So they're going to have to get out in front early and then try to stay there uh, to, to get out uh, and have success against uh, Springfield. And I think that's what's going to be the toughest thing for Northeast is getting out in front of Springfield because of the way Springfield's defense has played thus far this season. And again, the struggles last week against Montgomery Central, if uh, Northeast, you know, it's good to move the ball up and down the field, but they've got to find a way to put some points on the board. And it's going to be tough uh, against that Springfield team. And let's not forget how well Devin Crenshaw has been playing for Springfield thus far. It's a big game, though. And uh, the winner, I think, does have a real legit shot with Henry County. The one thing that Northeast cannot afford to do is fall behind because they're not going to get many chances to score the way Springfield's ball control was last week. And if they keep that up, then this could be a real short game just like it was last week as well. So that's one thing for Northeast to keep in mind. You better be able to get in front and make Springfield play from behind. Nobody's done that yet. So the question for them is can they keep pace or get in front early? I don't know if they can or not. We'll see. And how is, is – uh, I'm sorry, Chris. Uh, no. Keontes Wood, uh, Wood, uh, Woodard, the running back for Springfield, I don't know how injured if he'll be back this week because that would be uh, – that will be a key for Springfield. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of Crenshaw last week because of that, but uh, we'll see how that shakes out for them. Summit at Brentwood, uh, our next to last game of the list. We didn't see Summit last week because Spring Hill had COVID. Summit couldn't find a game. Brentwood, the last we saw them, Father Ryan had, had put, them, put them out in week two, so – um, critical game for these two teams in region play, and you know, Brentwood needs it probably for, if nothing else, confidence. Yeah, I agree. They've lost these first two games, and, uh, you know, I was at that game at Blackman when, uh, you know, you really felt the momentum squarely with Brentwood in that fourth quarter, and uh, they get two key fumbles. Blackman makes them pay in a late interception. Just a heartbreaking way to lose, and then they come back last week. Father Ryan with the 26-13 win. So, Brentwood, let's not forget, they were the Class 6A runner-up last year. So, uh, confidence may be waning a little bit with them. But, again, they got Summit. They're another team. They're loaded with talent, but they're coming off a of COVID week. How are they going to respond to that? I think, uh, you know, two things working against both teams. Who responds to their adversity the most probably wins this game Friday night. Yeah, I'm I'm still kind of concerned about Brentwood and, and 
uh, are they still trying to figure out who they are? Um, you know, the, the question is, is that, you know, they had trouble running the ball. They had great success the first, the first game with Blackman, but then had all kinds of trouble running it against Father Ryan. The, you know, is, was that a product of uh, Blackman's, uh, you know, their, their system that they were able to run so well? Or, you know, is there something in the Brentwood system that's not working uh, without, you know, Cade Granzow back there? Hard to say, and we'll learn a lot more. But this is not the opponent to get well against. This is the opponent that you hope you want to be playing your best ball against. And uh, I just think that, you know, right now Summit is uh, they're true believers. Uh, you know, they've been to the mountaintop. They're still there. It's going to be a tall task for Brentwood. Yeah, indeed. I mean, slowing down Destin Wade after what he did to Henry County week one, keeping Wade's back healthy and causing havoc on defense. I mean, it's going to be a difficult challenge for Brentwood to stop those two or just slow them down. They're not going to stop them. They're just going to be able to slow them down because if you do try to stop them, then somebody else like Brady Pierce might get broken and things can get really bad in a hurry. Yeah. This game has a shootout potential to it, but Brentwood's going to have to find some consistency on offense in order to make that happen. Let's get to our spotlight game of the week. Riverdale and Blackman is uh, Riverdale has pitched two shutouts to start the year. Blackman didn't get to play last week after Gallatin's COVID problems caused their cancellation. So done not a lot on Blackman except for what we saw in week one, Tom. And you know, Riverdale's defense has done the job. So what gives? I tell you, Riverdale's defense has done their job, and uh, we knew they were going to be good coming into the season. Seven other starters returned on the defensive side of the ball. This is an experienced club. They've got a big senior class on this club this year. My concern for Riverdale is, are they too focused on Oakland that they may overlook Blackman? And they better not be because it's Blackman offense. And, and one thing I think is going to throw Blackman a little bit for a loop, they could not get into Coach Tiger's rhythm, rhythm that he really wanted week one against Brentwood. And I think that's some things. Coach Tiger did everything he could to try to find a replacement game for week two because he wants to get that offense into a rhythm, get it ebbing and flowing. Um, how are they going to respond after a week off that they didn't want coming back out and trying to restart that offense? Now with Reisner out there, Peyton Thomas, who's the backup quarterback, but he's kind of become a all-purpose weapon out there on the field. You know, this is a team that's going to pull out all the stops offensively against anyone and everyone. That's got to scare Riverdale just a little bit, but, you know, they're going to have to stay home. They're going to have to stay disciplined. I think it's the key of Blackman finding a rhythm offensively. Can they do that against such a good Riverdale defense? Well, Chris, you said what gives, and I think that, the real question is who gives? Uh, is it going to be the uh, up-tempo system that uh, Coach Tigert is, uh, has got, or is it going to be Riverdale's tough defense? And it's going to be really, really interesting to Tom's point of if that rhythm, if uh, Blackman can find that rhythm, can they punch holes in uh, Riverdale's defense? The key, I think, is going to be time. Time in the pocket for the quarter for Blackman's quarterbacks, uh, with Herring coming off the corner. Uh, if they can disrupt Blackman's offensive rhythm, then Riverdale should be should be okay running the ball, uh, controlling the clock. If they can't get to him, then it's a problem. Yep. Main thing for Blackman: score early. Don't don't let this thing get into the late in the first half where you're not on the board yet because. 
the longer this game goes and Riverdale is still pitching a shutout, the more up-tempo the defense is going to get, and they get more dangerous as the game goes on. So that's a big thing for them. They've got to be able to score early if they plan on scoring often. So we'll see if uh, the shutout streak continues or if Blackman does indeed end it. we got to take a quick break, and we're going to pick these games really quick before we end the show. So stay with us. This is the Mid-State 48, powered by 615 Preps, and we're right back after this. Back here on the Mid-State 48, and it is that time of the week where we try to figure out who's going to win these games. It is time for Who You Got. All right, so let's take a look at last week. Guys, we have some explaining to do. Not great, <laughs> Not great Bob. Not great. Tom does have a 7-3 and three week to his credit last week and takes the overall lead by a game over Scott and the fans who have a game on me. I have some explain- a lot of explaining to do. Reggie had a nice week. We're going seven and three in his picks, and Drake is sitting at five hundred with a lot of explaining to do. So. <laughs> I knew I knew Reggie and I were close. In fact, I, I thought I lost the week to Reggie, but uh, uh, I'll I'll take a push. That's that's all good. <laughs> well, well, you see the column on the right, the the told you so column. That's when you go lone wolf and win. So we'll give you extra. We'll give you an extra cookie for that. All right, I'll take it. <laughs> on to on to the picks, and let's start with. Beach and Hendersonville as we bring Reggie's picture in right there. Hey, Reggie. There's Reggie. Who did everybody pick? Well, Tom goes lone wolf with Hendersonville this week, so uh, let's hear it. Well, you know, this is a game, again, a rivalry game, just one I kind of went back and forth on. And uh, um, just, I don't know, sometimes it's it's looking at something and uh, getting a gut feeling about it. So I'm going to take the shot. Let's go with Hendersonville at home. It's a huge region game. The winner of this game may very well win the region. So um, I I just always, when I take a look at a rivalry game, I just throw a lot of things out the window, and I'm just going to go with the home team this week. I think every, every one of us went beach. So, Scott, what do you got? Well, you know, Hendersonville's defensive front is capable of uh, shutting down the running game for Beach and pushing him to the air. But I think that Beach is a much better throwing team than they have been in the past. Um, you know, if they can capitalize on turnover, too, they could pull the upset. But I think Beach has a good defense, uh, too many weapons. And don't be surprised if a special teams play doesn't break the game open for the Buccaneers. You mentioned the passing game for Beach, and we haven't heard a lot from Jackson Long or Andrew Page yet in the first two weeks. This might be the week one of those two breaks out, and I think I'm going with Beach for that reason. BGA and CPA, and it's CPA across the board. Everybody going with the Lions in this one. Um, I think that just BGA, I think, will be able to keep up for a while, but you know, the main thing is CPA's experience will take over in the second half, and I, I just see the Lions winning this one going away. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's uh, – See, BGA has a chance, but it's a slim one. Um, I, I think we'll see a lot of Law and Patterson on the ground, uh, safe passes. I uh, think Engel's not going to give this one away. I think he's going to try to keep this one down and avoid a shootout and try to control it. DeKalb County at Macon County kind of split here as uh, Drake goes to Macon County, and so do I. Uh, I like Megan and home here just because of that little taste in their mouth from last year's loss where they got it snatched away from them in the final minute. They've run the ball really well in the first couple of weeks, and I think in home, their experience at quarterback and on the outside will make a bit of a difference here. But I won't discount DeKalb County. That's a pretty good little team. It's, it's off to a decent start. So could be a tight one again, just like last year. But I think well, the Tigers are going to win regardless. But I think Exactly. The Tigers at home will pull this one out. East Nashville at Stratford. Everybody goes with East Nashville. I think 
Texas, Nashville across the board. I think it's. I just think they're head and shoulders above the rest of that region right now, guys. Just to be honest, I think it's them and everybody else. Uh, you know, it's Stratford, Smith County, Maplewood, those, those guys can wrangle for two, three, and four, but I think it's East Nashville's to lose. Yep. Father Ryan at JP2, the battle for the Bishop's Cup. And Drake going with Father Ryan. Everybody else goes with JP2. I could see Father Ryan making a run at this. I mean, they've gotten off to a really good start. I do think, though, that the quarterback edge has to go to the Knights and, and JP2 and with Kenny Minchie there. And the experience in this rivalry will serve him well for sure. Yeah, Father Ryan gives up a high per uh, percentage of completions. I think this is, even though this is going to be the toughest opponent so far for JP2, I think we're going to get a better idea in, of just how good uh, JP2 is after this game. On to the next five, Independence and Centennial. One, three for Independence, and Scott, you and Reggie are siding with Centennial. Explain yourself. <laughs> I just, I, I, I think that Independence, uh, you know, right now they're they're struggling, and I, I think Centennial is going to try to uh, keep the gas on, uh, you know, keep the pedal down. I think to Tom's point, uh, Josh Forsey is going to be the force in this game. Um, it's just uh, I think that uh, Centennial's playing with a lot of confidence. I think it rolls over. Yeah, I wasn't going to make you speak for Reggie, but I figured you might want to at least get <laughs> <laughs> Meow, 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 meow. Okay. <laughs> I can't go any more than that or, you know, I'll have to pay somebody. Fair, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, I think three seconds is the max. Smyrna at Hillsboro and Smyrna across the board. I think uh, even though Hillsboro's at home, then the emotion is certainly there for them. Smyrna, I think, still probably is going to come in there with some confidence that they can beat Hillsborough, seeing what happened last week against Station Camp. And I wouldn't be surprised if Smyrna does win this, win this game. No. Everything okay? Everything's good. <laughs> <laughs> I, was say, I don't think it was here. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else, I think, wants to make a pick, Tom. You might want to. <laughs> yeah, I know. It does. <laughs> Tucker's getting jealous of Reggie. He, he's getting all the attention. <laughs> there, there, see, now the truth finally comes out. Yeah, yeah he's, he's wondering how he gets some of those treats, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Springfield and Northeast and, and Springfield across the board here. I think we touched on that earlier. I mean, Springfield playing some pretty good ball the first couple of weeks and Northeast coming off that shutout loss. They got to bounce back in a big way. And this is a tough team to do that against. Yeah, I don't, I, I think that this is, uh, you know, this is not a team you get well against. Uh, I think Springfield is just too physical, too powerful. Uh, they're too deep. It is, I think that, uh, you know, I think Northeast is good, but this is just not the week to get to try to get well. I mean, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I made a mistake. Reggie actually did pick Northeast. So go ahead, Tom. Oh, okay. I was just going to say, I, I think you're right in about everything you said there, Scott. And uh, I, I tell you the truth, guys, I think Springfield's got a legit shot to win that region against Henry County. I think they, they've looked really good so far. Yep. Summit at Brentwood. We touched about that one just a short time ago, and we've all gone with the Spartans in this one. And Destin Wade, I think, will have another big night. And, and Brentwood's going to have a hard time controlling Keaton Wade, and they're going to find ways to – get him freed up on the defensive side, even if they have to be creative. So I, I like Summit in their region opener at Brentwood. And everybody else does too. That brings us to Riverdale and Blackman. And four of us made the pick so far. And Scott, you went with Blackman. I want to hear from you before we get Reggie's pick. Well, I, I think that uh, Blackman has a really good shot at this game. I think Tom brought up that Riverdale's got their eye on the Oakland game. Maybe, but I think that Blackman with a week to prepare, 
that they, uh, you know, if they can get on the board early, I think they stand a good chance of breaking that river. And that Blackman defense isn't terrible. It isn't terrible. I think that they have a chance to to kind of break Riverdale's back just a little bit. All right, so there's yours, and now let's get Reggie's pick. And Reggie's going up here, and he is going to select. Which one has he gone for? He has gone for the Blue Cup, which is <laughs> Blackman High School. So Reggie takes Blackman over Riverdale. Reg, you have anything to say? Yeah, we're the treats. <laughs> <laughs> He's a cat of few words. Yep. <laughs> so with Reggie's Blackman pick, let's review them real quick on the screen. Hendersonville for you, Tom, everybody else at Beach, all five of us took CPA. Drake and I are going with Macon County, others with DeKalb County. East Nashville is a across-the-board pick for everybody. Drake goes to Father Ryan, the rest of us with Pope John Paul II. Scott and Reggie take Centennial, the rest of us with Independence. We've all picked Smyrna over Hillsboro. Reggie goes with Northeast over Springfield, the other side with the Yellow Jackets. Summit gets all five of our picks, and Reggie and Scott take Blackman, while the others have Riverdale. That's the picks for week three, so let's see if we can do a little better this time around. Guys, let's real quickly get one last word in before we head out. Well, guys, I tell you, week three starting the region campaign, and this is when it really starts. I know a lot of folks will refer to weeks one and two as the preseason, but I think weeks one and two have been very interesting thus far. That's COVID aside. And of course, we hope we're not going to see this all throughout the season, hopefully the numbers may be bad here to start with, but uh, we all hope and pray it's going to be better as we go throughout the season. But the games do mean a little bit more because they do count, uh, you know, toward the playoff race. And every region game counts for something. You want to get at least one home playoff game, so you're finding to get to at least second place. And, uh, guys, we've already got a lot of matchups this week I think could determine region championships. So uh, it's been exciting already. I think it steps it up to another level this week. Yeah, I agree, and I think that uh, Tom, you brought up the uh, the COVID issue. That makes the uh, these uh, region games that much more critical, uh, depending on if a team has to, you know, not they don't lose, but if they have to give up a COVID win to a region opponent. Uh, so I think that these games that that are being played right now are absolutely critical for some of these teams. Uh, that being said, I, I think that. Uh, you know, it's a it's a good week for football. We got some really good matchups, uh, and and I'm really excited. The thing that I'm taking away from week two, especially, is some of the teams that are stepping up and playing really good ball the first couple of weeks. You got your Centennials, your Station Camps, your Rockvales, your Seagulls that have been kind of off to a good start and trying to build on that momentum going into week three. This is where it gets real for them. Their schedules may or may not have been good the first couple of weeks. They have to earn it now, and we're going to see where those teams are when we hit week three, five, seven, and nine, these region weeks throughout the season. So the biggest thing for me going into week three is how do some of these teams respond to these really good starts with games that really count now? And that's the biggest thing I'm going to have for week three. Guys, let's bring us back in. Um, that's all we've got for the Mid-State 48 this week. We needed a little bit of overtime to get there, but hey, 
Sometimes it happens. Um, for Scott Burton, for Tom Duggan, I'm Chris Brooks. Thanks for watching and listening to the Mid-State 48, powered by 615 Preps, where we try to get you ready for Friday in 48 minutes or less. Hopefully next week we'll be able to do that. <laughs> yeah, don't wager on it. <laughs> <laughs> See you all next week. The Mid-State 48, powered by 615 Preps, is a production of B-Squared Media, LLC.